Do you come from a family that has negative cycles in it? When we think of cycles, we think of two different types of cycles often, and I want to list both. On one hand, we think of generational family cycles. Let's think of a couple. There's cycles of poverty. There's cycles of abuse. There's cycles of mental health. There's cycles of violence. There's cycles of addiction. And these can happen in families and in social groups and in communities. That happens generationally. Then on the other side, we have smaller, but just as important, just as meaningful, individual life cycles that we can have in our lives. Maybe these aren't the big generational cycles, but these are smaller cycles that we can get caught in and we start to feel like a hamster on the wheel. We start to feel like that quarter that's caught in the washing machine. And you remember when you go and you hear that cord in the washing machine for the first time and you hear every time it goes around. We start to feel like, I'm trying to live my life, I'm trying to follow Jesus, I'm trying to do the right thing. Yet, whether I'm caught in a generational cycle or a smaller cycle, I can feel like I make no progress. I can feel like I just go round and round and round and round. You don't have to put hands up, but is this something we can say that we have some understanding of? And we say, wow, I'm either very much have times where I see these generational cycles or I see these smaller individual cycles. We're going to be looking at the book of Judges today. Sometimes when we look at the Bible, who's the hero of the Bible? Is the hero of the Bible David, King David? Wait, what about, maybe is it Samson? It's not. God is the hero of the Bible, okay? If you're in a small group with me, you probably are sick of hearing this. I say, who's the hero of the Bible? God is the hero of the Bible. We're going to be looking at cycles because Judges is literally just a cycle over, over, and over. But I want to, before we get there, I'm a nerd. Anybody else here a nerd? Okay. How am I a nerd? I read the Harvard Business Review. Anybody else read the Harvard Business Review? That means I super nerd points. Like, that's ridiculous, David. What are you talking about? Well, there's this wonderful article that maybe if you read, you'd be like, this is not a wonderful article. It's this wonderful article that talks about some of the negative cycles we can have in our workplace. If you're a person who manages people, who are, who are my people managers here? Let's shout out. Hey, I love you guys. You guys, that's like one of, I hear that that's one of the hardest things to do is to manage people. Am I right? It's like herding cats. It's so hard. Cycles, right? Round and round and round. I think I'm giving good feedback and my employees are not listening and they're just doing, right? Okay. So when we're managing people or we're, whether we're just thinking of how we're in our workplace, but this applies to other things too. We can have some of these negative cycles where we say, I'm going to be a hero. That sounds nice, right? Anybody want to be a hero? Who are some great heroes Jack Bauer in 24, he's a great hero. You know the problem with Jack Bauer if you're a 24 fan? So that show is implausible, I love it, I love it. Um, my name is Jack Bauer and this is the longest day of my life is what we always hear. He literally works for 24 hours and he solves this issue in an unsustainable pace. A hero takes things on at an unsustainable pace, pushes, pushes, pushes. Anybody ever feel like that, that you try to be a hero? This can be a negative cycle. This can be, I try to do this, but I push at an unsustainable pace, and I white-knuckle it, and it's too much, and so then I, I grab on even harder, and then I cancel my vacation, and I cancel my days off. No days off, no, right? So we start to have this cycle over and over and over. So that's one. Now, 
for some of us, that may be a cycle that we start to be in. Another one, and this is me, bulldozer. Now, being self-defined is a good thing, right? Anybody here feel like, hey, I'm pretty self-defined. I can deal with conflict. The problem is, is if we take this too much, instead of being self-defined and firm, fair, frank, and friendly, we get in our little bulldozer and we run people over. You don't have to raise your hand, but I will. I'm a bulldozer. I have to work on this. I was having a conversation with a dear friend of mine right before service, and I was saying, this is the thing I struggle with. I run people over unintentionally. Anybody deal with this? Don't put your hand up. Okay? <laughs> over and over and over, round the merry-go-round, the cycle. We go, what about a home run hitter? Home run hitter sounds so good, but any hardcore baseball fans, I know I have a couple people who went down to spring training. The problem with the home run hitters is they have a really low batting average. Why do they have a really low batting average? Because they strike out or hit it over the fence. The problem with being the home run hitter is if you try to do too much too soon, you want to impress someone, instead of having an audience one and saying, hey, God's my authority, I just need to measure up to God, I'm trying to do all these other things to appease people, and it becomes a cycle. What about the pessimist? All right, we're going we're gonna to out ourselves. Who, who can be a bit of a pessimist? Okay, the, it's good to be a realist saying, hey, I, I, I see life as it actually is. We can enter into the cycle of, of negative thinking and being a pessimist, and it gets worse over time because if I'm honest about this challenge, and then I become kind of addicted to being honest about challenges, I just become the negative naysayer of Nabom here and here and here and here and here and here and here. What about the rebel? Who had a rebellious teenage, or, or maybe you're kind of a teenager now and you're saying, hey, I'm a bit of a rebel. So pushing back is an important part of figuring out who I am, but when I start to have my identity in Christ, the challenge with always being the person who's the rebel always is that we're just always pushing back when there's even not a need to. And so these are some cycles. So I started with really heavy, right? You said, David, uh, you're supposed to start with a light story, and you asked me, what about generational cycles? So maybe today you're dealing with a generational cycle, and you're stuck there. And we're calling this message today, Break the Cycle. We're going to look at the book of Judges. We're going to see how the book of Judges shows us how to break that cycle, because the Israelites can't. But maybe you're saying, hey, that's too heavy for me, David, okay? Yeah, I hear that, but, but I'm not there right now. Let's not do that thing. Think of these. These can be present in our marriage. I can be a bulldozer to my spouse. Where are my husbands at? Hey, husbands, can we be bulldozers to our spouse? Where my, where, my, where my wives at? Hey, wives, can you be a bulldozer to your spouse? Right, so these all can be part of a negative cycle that we start to have. And I say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. How come life's not getting better? I start to come into these. Because here is our problem. And this is in the book of Judges. This is in our lives, our marriage, our faith walk, anything. It's quite easy to get caught in a negative cycle. Can we agree? Generationally or smaller. It's quite easy. And so where does the book of Judges come in? So let's look at this. Judges is the seventh book. And in Judges chapter 2, which we've read, and if you haven't read it yet, I invite you this week, go through, read the book of Judges. We're in a Through the Bible series. Where are my podcast people at? Hey, thank you so much for being with us. We got through Leviticus. I saw a funny meme about Leviticus this past week. We got through Leviticus, we got through the Pentateuch, we're smooth sailing, we're in some stories for a while, 
Just wait for Ezekiel. That's going to be so fun. But we have, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we have a through the Bible plan we're doing where we're starting in January with Genesis. We're ending in December with Revelation. We're literally reading the entire Bible as it's stated, word for word, broken up into 365 days. There's a reading plan, cards out there for you. We also have a Spotify podcast we're doing. You're going to see there's this cycle in Judges. It becomes a generational cycle. Generation after generation does this. It also becomes this little cycle in people's lives in the book of Judges. Here's what it starts with. Israel serves God, Yahweh. That's what, if you see Y-H-W-H, that's one way to say God. Israel serves God. Does that sound good? Who likes serving God? Where's my God serving people at? There you go. Oh, what happens? Israel chooses an idol. What's an idol? In the ancient world, you had these little statues. Because does anybody like see God physically right now? Look around. Do you see God physically? Okay. So they didn't either, usually. There's a few exceptions, but they didn't either. So they were like, hey, uh, my life isn't as great as I want it to be. How do I know God's with me? Well, forget that. I'm going to make my own God. I'm going to make this little statue or this pole, and that's my God, and now I can see it. And it was really comfortable, and it sounded just like good. The problem is, so Israel would say, hey, God, you've been faithful. I'm going to forget you. I'm going to choose an idol, something else. And then, the natural consequence, we're now in a cycle. Because then, no longer following God, they're compromising on all sorts of stuff. God literally says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. They're not. And now they're suddenly serving a foreign nation. And they were supposed, God led them out of Egypt, the Exodus, right? What's the book of Exodus? The Israelite people were in captivity in Egypt, And then God delivered them. Now they're in the promised land and they're basically choosing captivity again. And you see these cycles where instead of following God, they say, hey, I'm going to follow this idol. And now they're suddenly in captivity and they cry out. Anybody ever cry out to God? Crying out to God is good. We'll talk about this. They cry out to God. They're like, God, I need help. This isn't working. God's faithful. God raises up a judge. So what is Judges? It's the cyclical story. It's a cycle over and over and over. The people don't obey. God sends a judge. The judge comes, delivers them militarily, and now the oppressor no longer oppresses them, and they're a free people again. And until the judge dies, they serve God. But the problem is, is they don't have an inward change. They just appreciated serving God and having this judge lead them But nothing's really changed, so as soon as the judge dies, what happens? We enter back into the cycle. It happens over and over and over and over and over. I'll show you six of them. There's six major judges in this book. Othniel, Ehud, it's supposed to be Barak, but let's be honest, Barak totally messes up and Deborah has to come save the day. Hey, ladies, do we ever have to save the day when men mess up? Anybody agree? Yeah, we right? Happens all the time. So Deborah comes and saves the day. She's awesome. Barak, not so much. Then it gets super bad because in cycles, let's talk about generational cycles. If I'm in a generational cycle of addiction or abuse or mental health issues, does that get better over time? It gets worse, okay? If I'm in this little cycle, I showed you that hero, home run hitter, whatever, 
if I'm doing that, and especially if I had some success at first in my workplace, does that get better over time? It gets worse. Book of Judges shows us that. First two judges, it's all pretty good. Ehud, Othniel, pretty good happens, but then they die and Israel doesn't serve God. Then we get to the whole thing with Barak is supposed to be the judge, but he's like, hey, I'm not willing to go. And Deborah says, I'll go with you, but everyone's always going to remember that literally you needed me to go with you. But then it gets worse. We think sometimes of Gideon as like this great, wonderful person to follow. Gideon's a really flawed guy, and if you look at the end of Gideon's life, they literally say, hey, Gideon, we want to make you king. And he says, no, don't make me king, but give me all your gold and let's set up a statue. And the people kind of worship the statue, and it creates such a, such a weird thing that when, Gideon's, when Gideon dies, his son says, hey, I've got 70 half-brothers, and I'm going to kill them all and make myself king. And so it just becomes a problem, right? But then it gets worse, because again, cycles, generational, or the little individual ones, get worse over time. So now we get to the point with Jephthah. If you remember last summer, we did this whole thing. Jephthah, like, ends up killing his daughter. Awful, really bad, not good. Then even worse, Samson. Anybody ever think of Samson as a great guy? We won't get into it, but Samson's not a great guy. Death, killing, immorality, not helpful. And literally his thing he's so famous for at the end is just like crushing 3,000 people by pushing pillars. So again, cycles get worse over time. In the book of Judges, and I won't go through these too much, there's seven conflicts in the book of Judges. And notice what happens. I just went through each of the six. What happens after Samson does that? Then Israel literally, because the cycle, whether generational or smaller, it gets so worse over time that Israel literally goes into a civil war. We think of the American Civil War, which was so bloody and so awful. We think of the Battle of Gettysburg. Where are my Civil War scholars at? Okay, here's the thing. They had this in the Bible, and if you read the end of Judges, it's the most depressing, violent, awful. People say the Bible's boring. Read the end of Judges, not boring. Not boring at all, super aggressive, super bloody. NC-17 could not be made as a movie, right? Really, read it. Like, you'll be like, wow, David wasn't lying. There's crazy stuff in the end of the book of Judges because they tear themselves apart. And that leads us to a theological foundation. We have to understand something. This gives us a perspective. We throw around a word sin in very unhelpful ways. I want us to be really clear. When I look at sin, I got to start with me. And honestly, I'm probably going to end with me too because I always have things to work on that I need the Holy Spirit to convict me in my heart and to work on where I miss the mark for God's plan, God's design, the image of God. Sin is missing the mark. Sometimes we like to say, hey, I notice everybody else's sin. The challenge is, is if we think of Jesus, Jesus said, hey, why are you focused on the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye when you have a plank, a wooden plank in your own eye. We've missed the mark. We have sin in our lives. Now, the reality is, is that when we think of this sin as our theological foundation, now let's apply the cycle of judges. Look at this next slide here. You're going to see that literally what we can have happen is I start by following Jesus. 
This is an example of a negative cycle right out of the book of Judges. I follow Jesus. Where are my Jesus followers at? Okay. But then I either choose or fall into sin. I miss the mark. Now, I serve how I miss the mark. Maybe it's, if we go to our big cycles, maybe it's an addiction. I start to serve that addiction. I no longer serve Jesus. I'm now under the authority of that addiction. And now I cry out to God to help. I repent. I say, God, I, I need your help. I need your grace. This is getting too much. Help arrives. I accept it. I'm delivered by the grace of God. I follow Jesus. But if I'm not daily surrendering and I'm not every morning saying, hey, God, today is a day where I know I fall, fall short. I need the cross. I need Jesus. Help me have wisdom today. What happens very quickly, I re-enter the cycle. Because here's our big idea for today. I like a big idea. If you get nothing else, get this. This is it. Here is our big idea. Each day, I have a choice. I can surrender to God, or I can re-enter the cycle. Bob Dylan says you got to serve somebody. I can serve the cycle, and I can go through it, whether it's that big generational cycle or that little smaller one, the hero the home run hitter, whatever, I can either surrender to God or I can surrender to the cycle. I got that choice every single day. That's what we're going to see in the book of Judges. You're going to see that people, rather than surrendering to God, surrender to the cycle, and now they're just caught in this loop, and it's this feedback loop, and it gets worse over time. Because here's what we're going to start with. Following God is common sense. You can say, David, What? It's common sense. That doesn't make sense. Well, let me explain. We're going to open up into chapter 2. Start at verse 10. We're going to especially be looking in this section from 10 to 15. I'm going to really go over verse 10 here. Here's what it says. After that generation died, the generation of Joshua, the generation that they came into the promised land and they were mostly faithful and they conquered and they listened to God and they, they did all the right things and they made memorials, you read about wonderful things that happened in the book of Joshua. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. They didn't have common sense. Why were the Israelites in the promised land? Because God delivered them from Egypt, and then God delivered them from their wandering in the desert for 40 years, and was faithful and was in the promised land. But they did their own thinking. So instead of having common sense and saying, hmm, I'm in the promised land that God promised to previous generations that I'd be in, wow, thank you, God, this is so cool. What did they do? They started to do their own thinking. They started to say, hmm, well, I, I don't really know. I can't see God, so I need this little statue. I need this big pole. I need this physical reminder. I need to be more like everybody else. The problem is, is that there were mighty things that God saved them from. Think of some of the mighty things in Scripture. Let's start with Noah. Noah was saved from a flood, right, with the ark and the animals. We just did St. Patrick's Day. Do you know the Irish Rover song about the unicorn? Do you know why the unicorn, according to the Irish Rover song, did not make it? Because there wasn't room in the ark. Listen, it's a funny song. My daughter loves it. Unicorns are terrific. Okay. But the reality is, so God saved Noah from a flood. That's a mighty thing. 
Okay, then God saved this guy Abraham from total obscurity. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody ever feel like you just live a life of obscurity and you do good stuff and you try to do the right thing, but you're just obscure? God selected Abraham from that and said, hey, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. I'm going to bless the entire world through you. How would you like it? I'm going to pick on Austin. How would you like it, Austin, if you found out and, you, and God said to you, hey, Austin, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. That's a mighty thing. So they forget the mighty things of God, and they're going to all this other stuff. But it's common sense to remember the mighty things of God. Let's do one more. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. God delivered them with signs, right? The ten plagues that were put on the Egyptians. That's a mighty thing, a mighty work. They forget about this. But Ann Wang was an innovator in the 20th century. Anybody remember Ann Wang? So Ann Wang, at one point, had a multi-billion dollar company and had 33,000 employees, all in Massachusetts, this area, is where Ann Wang was headquartered, actually in Lowell, Massachusetts. And Ann Wang was known for doing something. For literally every year, there were 33,000 employees. Ann Wang would go and make sure to have like 30 seconds or so with every single employee at least once a year, and said this. Success is more of a function of consistent common sense than it is of genius. Following God is common sense. Let's look at this. This is right from the text in this part. Common sense is to acknowledge God and remember his mighty things. In my life, I can acknowledge God's been faithful. I'm standing here having an opportunity to teach the Bible to people. God has been faithful. You have that in your life too. Acknowledge God. Wow, God, I have life pretty good. Maybe not perfect, certainly not perfect. Things are pretty good. God, I remember the mighty things you've done in my family. God, I remember the mighty things you've done for me. I remember the mighty things you've done in Scripture, in the Bible. But the problem is, instead of using that common sense, we go in that cycle, and what happens really quick, whether generational or the smaller one, my own thinking. You don't have to raise your hand, but who becomes a victim of your own thinking, right? My own worst thought. I abandon God. That happens in verse 12. I try to be like others. Peer pressure is not just for middle school. I engage in unwinnable battles. Anybody ever find yourself in this loop where you're, you're just trying to do this thing, but it becomes an unwinnable battle? That's my own thinking. That's not helpful. So here's my question for you. Is my life or your life a set of consistent, common-sense decisions of following God? When I'm not sure what to do, am I saying, hmm, it makes sense to, right now, I just found out bad news. I should definitely pray about it myself. I'm going to take 30 seconds and I'm going to pray. Okay. I have a difficult thing I'm dealing with at work. What does Scripture say? Hmm, I should acknowledge God. Okay, God, I'm not sure the way forward, but I acknowledge you and your mighty things. Because if I just turn from God in that time and say, I'm going to abandon God, I'm going to try to be like other people, that's going to be my gospel, my solution. I'm going to engage in unwinnable battles. Then I enter back into this cycle. Every single day I have a choice. Surrender to God or surrender to the cycle. So again, I ask, is your life a consistent set of common sense decisions following God? But that leads us to this. Because so often, 
we live our lives checking off boxes. Does anybody ever feel like your life is checking off boxes? Or oh, I just got all these tasks and I'm so busy, I'm going to check the boxes. So I want to say this. If my heart's not in it, it doesn't matter. If I'm just checking off a box coming to church, I shouldn't come to church. Jesus says this over and over. He says, if your heart's not in it to give to God, you shouldn't give to God. You shouldn't give to God. Out of, you should give to God because you love God. If you don't love God, don't give. That's not helpful. If my heart's not in it, it doesn't matter. In this cycle of generational cycles with judges or smaller cycles with judges, the people cry out to God and follow the judge, but they don't follow the judge necessarily because they love God. It's because they love being rescued. If my heart's not in it, it doesn't matter. Let's look at what the text says. Jump down, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. The problem was not actually all the nations that had conquered them. When my heart's not in it, I see the symptoms as the problem. I don't see the problem. What was the issue? The issue was not that they were under the king of Mesopotamia or the king of Canaan or the Philistines or whatever. The problem was they had abandoned God. If my heart's not in it, it doesn't matter. The solution was not actually following the judge. What was the solution? Giving their heart to God. And so they end up in this generational cycle that ends in a civil war. The book of Judges is super bloody, super difficult. It's a wonderful warning that if I just try to get in my own thinking and just doing whatever I feel like I need to do, things get worse over time. I'm in this generational cycle now, and now things are worse for me, they're worse for my children, they're worse for my grandchildren. But I today can remember, hey, each day I have a choice, surrender to God or surrender back to that cycle. I have to serve somebody. The solution was an inward heart change. I want to come to this. I like this metaphor. This is helpful for thinking of the ways we look at problems. Downstream, upstream. Anybody like going to New Hampshire and seeing the streams? Where are my, where are my New Hampshire people at? All right. When I was a little kid, I loved going to the streams and playing in the little streams. My little kids are starting to like it now. Henry, the other day, went to the water and he got in. It's the middle of March. Like, what is he doing? But he's just turned two and that's what he's doing. Now, when we think of a river or a stream, upstream is what goes into the river, right? So if I put a log in the river upstream, it travels all the way down to the river. Downstream is what comes out. You with me? Okay, so upstream, literally, at the start of the river, what goes in? Downstream is at the bottom. I want to be super clear on this. If my heart's not in it, it doesn't matter. We need to have upstream solutions, not downstream solutions in our life. What happened in the book of Judges is that you see these people have all these downstream solutions. Hey, things are bad, I'm going to follow this judge. Why are things bad? Well, things are bad because my heart wasn't in it. I didn't love God. But I'm just going to follow the judge, and that's okay. But nothing ever changes, and we're caught in this cycle, caught in this loop. Now let's make it real. Who's ever had a basement flood or a leak or a drip? Okay, here's, here's what they are. A downstream solution, it's dripping. 
and I put a bucket there. Anybody ever do this? And now it drips into the bucket. What happens when the bucket fills with water? I switch out the bucket, right? Because I don't want to have a ruined basement. Does that solve anything? No, it, it just, it's a downstream solution. What do I do to fix my basement flood? I call the plumber, and I say, hi, plumber. Thank you for charging me $400 to show up and $1,000 minimum to give me an estimate. I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you for fixing my problem. Right? Okay, let's try another one. It's downstream, upstream. This is so relatable with the book of Judges. Because so often, we're, we're saying, hey, I serve, I serve God. I love Jesus. But I'm just reacting to all the symptoms of the problem. I'm doing all these downstream solutions, and life's not getting better, and I wonder why, and I'm now in this generational cycle, or I'm in this smaller cycle, and I don't know why. Well, it's because I'm dealing with the downstream issue. Let's try another one. I have a teenager failing math class. I don't. I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. But imagine you have a three-year-old failing math class. What's the downstream solution? I ground the teenager. I take away the teenager's cell phone. Oh, I put them in tutoring for their math homework. Take away privileges. Does that actually solve anything? No, it really doesn't. It's a downstream solution. Upstream solution is, hey, you're failing math class. Why? Maybe it's because of a learning disability. Maybe it's because of school disruption and there was, there's learning gaps. Maybe it's because of a bad learning environment. We need to fix the learning environment. Maybe it's because there's something in our family structure that is set up the wrong way, and so now you're failing math class, but it has nothing to do with failing math class. It's a greater issue. When I start to deal with the greater issue, then I set the teenager up to have an opportunity to not fail math class. And so that brings us to the book of Judges. The downstream solution is following the judge. The upstream solution is giving your heart to God. And that's why the people over and over and over are in this cycle. So my question is for you this. In your life, are you caught in a cycle of reacting to downstream issues? What comes out at the bottom of the river? They look super bad, right? The teenager failing math class looks super bad. But am I dealing with that or am I saying, what's the root cause here? And so often the root cause is, hey, what's wrong with my heart? How can I get my heart right with God? And how can I be a better witness of Jesus in my life? What can I do to be part of the solution? Thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity, not by my strength, but by yours. If my father, Pastor Stan, has one consistent theme in his preaching, people have said it's trust God. Mine is pretty similar, but slightly different. Is my heart right with God? Because if I trust God, I have to have a right heart. I have to say, wow, you know, God, you're leading, you're guiding. I can't be checking off boxes. i got to serve you. And that takes us to our final part. We need the gospel. Because without it, things get worse. You'll see, in a generational cycle that we have, over and over and over and over and over, are the people and judges able to get out of it? They are not. Their, their might and their, their thinking is not good. It doesn't work out. It's not helpful. We need the gospel. Without, without things get worse. If I'm caught in that little cycle of being the hero, being the bulldozer, being the home run hitter. I need the gospel. I'm not going to be able to fix it. I need God to work in my heart. I need to, first of all, if I haven't accepted Jesus, accept Jesus and say, I can't, you can, I'm a sinner. You know, I, I'm in need of the cross. You, 
you give your unmerited favor, your grace freely in my life, I want to accept that. But maybe I've done that. And maybe I'm just now in this thing where I'm taking my will back and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I serve Jesus, but uh, it's primarily kind of a Sunday thing. And, you know, I know best. We saw that chart with judges. The common sense is following God. Or I can take my will back and things get worse and then I can go back into that cycle. Because remember, each day I have a choice. Do I serve God, surrender to God, or do I serve the cycle? We need the gospel. We'll see evidence for this. You're going to notice it doesn't say anything about Jesus or the gospel, but it shows a need for it as we go to the end of this passage. Look in verse 20. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors, and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. We see that humans on their own fall short. We see that they weren't able to follow God perfectly. Anybody follow God perfectly here? Because you're dismissed if you are. Right? We have a need. My wife in her classroom has a little thing, very hidden on the side, but it says the gospel changes everything. It's true. We need the gospel. Without it, things get worse. We see that God has justified anger against what happens here. And this is a topic that makes us uncomfortable. We don't like talking about the anger or the wrath of God a lot. We like talking about love and grace, and those are wonderful things. There's a balance. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God? Right? We need the gospel. Without it, things get worse. Jesus is enough. My actions are not enough. Jesus is enough. So I need the gospel. I need to surrender to him. And I need to surrender him every day. Because without surrendering to God every day, I'm just taking my will back and now I have a problem. Now I'm just living in these cycles and I'm just like, this is so awful. And it's not a works righteousness thing. This is simply we are saved by faith. But as I'm living as a Christian, do I want to be in that generational cycle where I love Jesus, but oh, it's just... I'm stuck in this loop. Or do I want to be in this smaller cycle where I love Jesus, but I'm, I'm running people over at work and I'm, I'm just feeling so bad about it? Or do I want to say, hey, I need to take a step back? The people don't ever figure it out, and we don't either. But I love the theologian, Laura Numeroff. Does anyone know what Laura Numeroff wrote? Look at this. Who has read the book If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Okay, there we go. You didn't know where I was going with that. You were like, theologian, what, what? what's that nonsense? Okay, if you give a mouse a cookie, the mouse is going to want what? A glass of milk. Okay, right? And then if they want a glass of milk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm in a cycle in my life, it's going to get worse over time. If I'm in a cycle of addiction, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. If I'm in a cycle of poverty, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. If I'm in a cycle of judging people, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Can we agree? If I'm in a cycle of running people over, does it get harder to run people over with time or easier? It gets easier. If I'm in a cycle of seeing the negative in everything, is it easier or harder to see the negative in the next thing? It's easier. If I enter the cycle 
and give in to the sin in my life, it's easier to give in to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and now I'm just going round and round and round and wondering my, why my life's not getting better. But here's the good news of the gospel. In the book, it says, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a... Okay. If I give my heart to Jesus, I'll want to pray. If I give my heart to Jesus, I'll want to read my Bible. If I pray and read my Bible, I'll want to share that with my spouse. If I share that with my spouse, I'll want to share that with my children. If I share the gospel with my children and pray with them, I'll want to be kinder in my workplace. Do you see what it is? It's both ways. There's a positive cycle too. The gospel is a positive cycle. Think of all the wonderful things the gospel offers. Yes, it offers forgiveness of our sins. It also, if I receive forgiveness, I'm going to want to offer it, right? The mouse is going to, if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to want a glass of milk. If I receive forgiveness, I'm going to want to show it to other people. If I follow Jesus, who's a servant leader, I'm going to want to be a servant leader too. Do you see how it's a positive cycle? Now, we've talked so much about this negative. The way we break the cycle, because here's our big idea. Each day I have a choice, surrender or re-enter the cycle. The way I break the negative cycle is by entering into God's positive cycle. That is the gospel message. And so here's my question for you, and it's a simple one. What role is the gospel offering in your life? What role? Is it something you hear about and you say, that's a beautiful story, that's so wonderful? That's a great starting point. But if it's not personal for you, I invite you. Think about how the gospel does change everything. The good news, Jesus came knowing that we fell short, knowing that we are not enough. Jesus loves us. Jesus offers us forgiveness. Jesus frees us from the power and guilt and shame of our sin missing the mark. Each day I have a choice, surrender to God or re-enter the cycle. And so we always give an opportunity to respond. If you are dealing with a negative cycle in your life, it can be a generational cycle. It can be you're dealing with a cycle of abuse, a cycle of trauma, a cycle of poverty, a cycle of addiction. We want you to come forward. We invite the elders of the church forward. We want to pray with you. Not that there's a silver bullet, not that there's a magic fix, but we know that the gospel changes everything. And when I surrender to Jesus today, I'm able to let him work in me to break that cycle. If you're dealing with something smaller, we talked about heroes, home run hitters, pessimists, all these other things. If you're dealing with something smaller and you're saying, hey, you know, I just can't seem to do the right thing in my workplace. I just run people over. You know, people see me as a bad boss. I don't get it. Hey, in my marriage, I can't listen first. I just run my spouse over. That's a cycle. We love to pray for you. We know that the Christian walk is not a series of big, high movie moments. It's just common sense decisions, following God, doing the next right thing, saying, I can't, God can't, I'll let him. Listening, being more humble, being more kind. So if you're dealing with a negative cycle in your family, I invite you as we begin singing, come forward. We want to pray for you. We love you. We care about you. Jesus loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. I always want to mention, if we're talking about this gospel thing, and you're like, I'm not sure about that. I don't know what that means. God loves you. You are a wonderful, beloved child of God. 
You're not someone devoid of worth or meaning. You are truly loved. You are cherished. God loves you. God sent his son for you personally. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to walk with him. And so if you find yourself today and saying, hey, before even these cycles, you know, I just haven't even given up my heart to Jesus, we'd love to have you come forward for that too. But God doesn't just love the person who doesn't give their life to Jesus yet and wants to receive the gospel message. If you're dealing with that big cycle, if you're just saying, wow, I can't get out of it, we'd love to pray for you. We want to work with you. We want to walk with you. We want to be part of that solution. And if you're dealing with that smaller cycle, we want to work with you. We want to see God's peace and his healing and his hope in your life. And let's stand and sing together.